welcome to The Wonder, exploring perspectives, rituals, and observances of modern naturalistic, earth-revering, pagan religious paths. Here are your hosts, Yucca and Mark. Welcome back to The Wonder, science-based paganism. I'm one of your hosts, Yucca. And I'm Mark. And this week, we are talking about the overculture. So this is a huge topic that we've touched on here and there that we thought really deserved an entire episode of its own and maybe a part two even. Yeah, we'll see how far we get with this one. This is a really important set of concepts to be able to wrap your head around and it's squishy, it's tricky Mm -hmm. because the overculture is all around us all the time. It can be hard to see what its messages are, what it's telling us to do, how it's influencing our behavior, because it's what we're used to. Right. And so just a note on the word itself, the overculture is the main culture. It's the dominant culture. So the overculture is opposed to a subculture. So it's something that most of us, unless we came here from somewhere else, that most of us grew up with. Right, right. And in the way of subcultures, what we talk about on this podcast is uh, pagan subculture in the United States, because that's what we're familiar with, but particularly naturalistic pagan culture, which is the culture of non-theist, science-consistent, but pagan-valued practice observances, uh, rituals, and so forth. Right. And so we're going to come back to that worldview, to pagan worldviews, and specifically naturalistic pagan worldviews. But first, we wanted to start to explore and pull apart this, the overculture. And especially what we are going to be looking at today are some of the aspects that we find very problematic. Because certainly as members of the overculture, or at least influenced by it, there are some things that we share. And many of those things, those values, we're not even aware of until we start really looking at them. But Mark and I both have been doing some brainstorming. And before we started recording, we put together a list and went back and forth about, oh, what is this concept? And what's that concept? And so um, really excited to get into this. Yeah, yeah, me too, because in many ways in, in the culture building work that we do, a lot of what we are seeking to achieve is to transform or transcend many of these more negative aspects of the overculture. And so being able to see them and identify them and understand how our value system is radically different from them in some ways is really important. Right. So to start with, we should sort of define what goes into our current overculture. Um, And especially in the English speaking world, which is all that I can really speak to, but many of these aspects are present in, you know, many other countries with different languages mm-hmm. basically much of western europe yeah much of western yeah. europe particularly the overculture is capitalistic to start with it's white supremacist it's patriarchal it's heteronormative and it's cisgendered mm-hmm. and in one way of understanding all that is that the capitalism is kind of like the white paint in it, when you're when you're mixing up a color, mm-hmm. and you start with white. The capitalism is the white. It's everything yeah. touches it's everything. It's yeah. the base. It's, the, it's the base or the is. primer. Yeah. Right. The the white supremacy, the patriarchy, the heteronormativity, the cisgender, all that stuff is stirred in, in various mm-hmm. amounts, mostly to reinforce capitalistic agendas. Right. And we could start getting into the connection between each of those things. Like I would make the argument that the heteronormative is really a subcategory of 
patriarchy and, and all of that. But we wanted to make sure that we were including some of the really big themes. Mm -hmm. And we're, of course, going to miss some things. But but this is these are some of the big things that are all around us. And as you're saying, it's just mixed into everything. Right. 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 So the first aspect that we identified is as a clear message that comes from the overculture to each of us is don't think, obey, right. just perform, do this, you know, perform this list of things that we're telling you is a value that will make you a val a person of value. Mm -hmm. And the trappings of your having done those things like acquisition of money and possessions will reflect your value. Right. Being a productive member of society. That's right. All of that. And mm -hmm. what that does is it sets up an outside authority rather than yourself telling you what you're supposed to be doing and how to do it. Right. And you're not supposed to think about that. Well, and there's just these roles that you fit into, and those particular roles are assigned to you based on what sex you are and gender and color and, and all of those things, um, mm -hmm. age, class. all of those things, class, yeah. And you just fit into that and roll down this track. Right. And don't stop. Just keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And don't ask questions. Don't ask questions. Right. Yeah, why am I doing this is a question that is not encouraged in, in our society. Yes. And bear in mind that what this does is it moves the center of decision making about what the right thing to do is away from yourself and out to an external authority. And mm -hmm. that external authority can be the state, it can be God, it can be the law, it your can father, be your parents. Any, any, it can be the school or the teacher, any institution that has been elevated in power over you, you look to them for the signals about how you're supposed to perform and what constitutes good performance. Right. And this is something we'll come back to in a little bit. But one of the things that non-theist pagans often get asked is, well, how do you know what's right? How do you know it's right and wrong if you don't have a God? And this is connected in with that, is this assumption from whatever religion someone might be within the overculture, because that does have people of many different religions, even though it is based quite strongly in the Abrahamic religions, is this, this authority, right? Right, right, yeah. There, it paints this picture of people that are godless as these sort of like the cartoon Tasmanian devil, you know, just sort of this, this destructive machine whirling through the world and taking big bites out of everything. Possibly function that way. Right. Well, you can't because individuals are able to decide what's right and wrong too. They don't need to be told that. Mm -hmm. um, what goes along with externalizing that judging authority and remember it is a judging authority under the overculture it mm -hmm. is rate it is ranking you based on your behavior and in some cases even based on your thoughts mm -hmm. because you're not supposed to think bad thoughts right and this is very true under conservative christianity you can commit a thoughtful a thought sin rather right. than even if you don't behave in any manner that's consistent with that just thinking about it is sinful, right? Right. Or, or dealing with things like depression or anxiety, mm -hmm. right? Those are, mm -hmm. those are deviant ways of being, deviant thoughts, you know, don't just fall in line. You're not supposed right. to do that. Don't do that. Just give it right? to and Jesus. Some things, yeah. Give it to Jesus or, or, you know, something's wrong with you. But yeah. again, this is something that we find problematic in the overculture. And it's, it's fundamental. It's one of the pillars of our overculture. It is. It is. And the alternative, of course, which is what we espouse, is that the individual has inherent worth and dignity. Mm -hmm. 
It doesn't matter whether they can be productive or not. It doesn't matter whether they can fulfill a pre-established set of roles or not. They're still a person and they still have inherent rights, inherent dignity and inherent worth. Yes. And this ties in as well to our view and relationship with the rest of Earth as well. Yes. And we're going to be talking more about that later on in the podcast. But now let's hop down to a really big, important <laughs> set of interpenetrated issues around the overculture, which we call dualism. Yeah. So dualism, duality, two, there being two separate, opposite, opposing things, and that incorporates, in that, that holds everything that is. Right. The, the idea that the universe can be separated into, or that humanity can be separated into good and bad, or that, that male and female, male and female, black and white, all these, these different polars, polar opposites, first of all, without any recognition that there can be any shades of gray along those scales, mm -hmm. which is terribly problematic when you're judging people. Right. But more than that, the dualism that, ex that is expressed in the mainstream religions that, that posits that there is a separate soul from the body. Right. And that is extremely problematic. And the reason that it's problematic is that in all those religions, they end up kind of voting for the soul at the expense of the body and the material. Mm -hmm. the the body and the material is tainted by original sin it's it's unable to go to heaven it's unable to achieve nirvana all of those kinds of of concepts so the material is viewed as dirty and contaminated while this imaginary essence of a person this this freestanding personality without a body or a brain is considered to be the most important aspect of a person and that is a terrible terrible idea yeah and this is something we were talking about quite recently this is built into our language and in english just the way that we have to talk about these things enforces, reinforces those ideas. We talk about the body and the mind, or we talk about, you know, getting to a higher vibration and things like that. It's just so built in that we don't really even have words to talk about these things as not separate. Right. Consider the word dirty, right? Dirt gives us our food. Dirt is the most sacred stuff on the planet, right? Dirt is, but, is earth. Yes, dirt is earth, right? But the very word dirty is an insulting denigration of whatever it's applied to. Yeah. The, the idea that everyone is tainted with this original sin and needs salvation in order to attain some kind of an afterlife is another manifestation of this dualism idea. And what it means is that we can trash this planet because that's not really what matters anyway. Right. And I mean, we can see the results of that mentality, can't we? You know, we're in the midst of the sixth mass extinction event and it's the Anthropocene. It's what we as humans are causing. So it is, it is directly bearing on the human relationship with nature and with the earth that we have this idea of this pristine, angelical, special, non-corporeal soul or spirit or whatever you choose to call it, and we focus our attention on it's, it's cleansing through salvation, it's redemption from whatever terrible things it may have done. All of that 
all of that wraps together under this heading of dualism. Right. Whereas, as an opposing view, the naturalistic pagan view of this is that we are not a machine and then a ghost within a machine. We are a machine. Mm -hmm. The machine produces consciousness. The brain produces consciousness, and that is us. Right. When the brain stops working, we aren't, we don't exist anymore. And that this machine that is us is also made out of pieces of this larger system. And that those pieces are continuously coming in and moving out. And the pieces that are us right now eventually will, will disassemble themselves or be disassembled and become part of something else. And that it's part of this larger cycle, but there isn't a self that continues on to the afterlife. Right, right. And I would add on top of your very apt description of all that, Yucca, that that is a sacred process. Yes. That it's holy. The, that that whole system that we are a part of is not dirty, is not contaminated, is not sinful, is not base. I mean, mm -hmm. all of, we have all these words that basically mean of the earth, right? Mundane means mm -hmm. of the earth. So it, of the, it of is all those things, but those things we choose to view as wonderful, as, as amazing, holy. as beautiful, as awe-inspiring. Yes, holy, yes. right? Yes. Just to play with words, holy with a W and holy with a H. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now these are, we're talking about our choice to step away from that, but I want to come back and, and recognize that even though this dualism idea is stemming out of the Abrahamic religions, that even those of us who are not directly part of those religions are still influenced by this idea. Like we're talking about our whole culture, even people who like myself grew up pagan or people who grew up atheist or whatever other religion, that this is still, this is in our stories. These are in, these are in the nursery stories and tales that we read to our children, that they're watching. This is in Sesame Street. I mean, this is everywhere. And mm -hmm. it's, it's something that we are making a conscious choice to, to not play along with. Right, right. Um, and as here's an example of how this, this unthinking obedience to the judging authority outside ourselves gets implemented in sexuality. Right. First of all, sexuality is already really denigrated because it's of the body right mm -hmm. so it's it's automatically dirty it's automatically sinful animalistic yes all those like how dare we actually be animals right spoilers we are yeah well yep. but you'll get an argument about that from a lot of people that subscribe to conservative versions of the abrahamic religions so sexuality is heavily impacted and then there are all these arbitrary rules that are placed on top of it in order to try to control it but from the outside from mm -hmm. from an external authority so pretty much everything about relationships is decreed uh, about a, what a normal relationship is is decreed by the overculture that includes things like you have one partner at a time mm -hmm. right you only have one partner at a time Oh, and don't have too many if you're a woman. Oh, no. Right. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I mean, uh, ideally you have one and that's it for your life, right? But certainly you don't have more than one at a time. Yeah, that's considered cheating, right? right. And that's everybody right. knows what the supposed rules of a relationship is. And if your particular relationship has different rules, people still say you're cheating. Right, because you're breaking the capital T rules, capital R, which mm -hmm. are decreed by the overculture. Another aspect of relationships is that we declare that they're forever. Mm -hmm. We know for a fact that about half, 
relationships don't last forever. About half of, of married, committed relationships break up after a while. Sometimes it's 20 years. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's six months. People can discover that they're incompatible. They, they can change over time. They can change over time and grow apart from one another. There are a lot of different circumstances under which people might decide to disentangle from one another and move on in the paths of their lives. That's not the story that we tell ourselves. Every pop music love song you listen to, every romance novel, every romantic story, it's always, you know, I love you, I'm going to love you forever. There will never be another. Yada, da, yada, da, da. It's indoctrination. And we get it from the very earliest time in our lives. Yeah, your one true love. Yeah, the soulmate. Yeah. Really pernicious idea that there's there's 7 billion people on the planet <laughs> and you're supposed to find this one person. <laughs> what happens yeah. if you don't? Right? Yeah, what if they're somewhere else? What if they're, yeah, they just happen to be the person that you had that lived next door or that you happened to meet at the right time, the coffee shop, right? Yeah, I get, obviously, I think it sounds pretty clear. I get a little exercised on this particular <laughs> aspect of the overculture because I think it's truly sick the way people are decreed what their gender roles are must be, mm -hmm. how their relationships must be, whether they're allowed to love who they really love or not. All of these are these arbitrary rules set up by external authorities. And even though we've made a lot of advance from a legal standpoint in our culture, there is still a tremendous voice, a loud, insistent voice built into the overculture that still says, you know, men should be men and women should be women and there isn't anything in between and relationships should be forever and all the things that we've been talking about. That's not a formula for happiness. Yeah. The overculture wasn't built to make you happy. The overculture was built to serve elites. Mm -hmm. It's no surprise that the major religions of the world are all religions that work very well in heavily authoritarian political structures, because if they hadn't been, those authoritarian structures wouldn't have adopted them. Yeah. When Constantine made Christianity into the, the official religion of the Roman Empire, he got tremendous pushback, but he understood what Christianity could do for him as, as the authoritarian power of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. if everybody was forced to follow it. Right. And so a lot of these things, when we go back and, and look at them, the gender roles and sexuality, relationships, our relationship to our body, all of those things are to keep us in line in that role that we have that function and our value is in how well we play that role. Or at least that's the perception. Right, right. And how well we play that role and therefore how well we produce. Mm -hmm. And by obeying, we keep authorities in their position of authorities. And by producing, we keep the wealthy accumulating wealth. Yeah. Because that's where power is, right? So, I mean, this is all pretty grim you know, stuff to talk about. And I can understand how it can be very dispiriting for, you know, those of us who are listening to, to hear us talking about this stuff, but it is so important that we be talking about it and thinking about it because I believe we are at a hinge point in human history where those authoritarian voices are breaking down mm -hmm. and they're freaking out about it and, you know, really doubling down, but they're still breaking down. And right. what that means is that people are starting to make choices for themselves about how they want to live that don't necessarily serve the elites. And they don't necessarily conform to these, this idea of dualism. And I want to put my hand up and say, I'm one of those. I am, right. am four square for the evolution of our humanity into a direction that celebrates and serves 
human happiness and ecological sustainability over the accumulation of wealth and capital or the, the, the obedience to arbitrary rules that have very little relevance to us today anyway. Right. And, you know, one of the ironies of this is that it'd probably be a better life for the elites anyways, mm -hmm. if we didn't have elites, right? That it would just, you know, if we're actually working towards, if the point is the joy and happiness and fulfillment for everybody, and not just us humans, but everybody, right? right. Well, then this is this, you know, positive feedback loop of it's, you know, it's better for them than it's better for us and on and on. And right. it could be a much better situation. And that's, that's one of the things that we are actively working towards in the choices that we make and in the, how we choose to view the world and behave in the world as pagans and especially as naturalistic pagans. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to give an example of the, one of the ways that you can tell that the overculture is, does not value your happiness is when it comes to abstract morality, like so-called victimless crimes, mm -hmm. like sex work, taking drugs, things that are that are associated with pleasure, right? Mm -hmm. Anything that's associated with somebody getting pleasure in a manner that is not actually serving capital, you know, creating productivity, adding to shareholder value, any of those kinds of things are automatically trashed by the overculture, even if they're not hurting anybody. Mm -hmm. But we're starting to see some of that change. And that's why once again, I feel like we are at this moment in human history where we can start to have a real conversation about whether this overculture that has dominated us for at least 2,000 years is helping. Right. I think that's one of the things that the anti-work um, movement is tapping into. You know, there's a lot going on there, but, but the starting to question and go, wait a second. Wait. Right. Do we... Do we really need this? Yeah. Did we really sign on for this? And, you know, am I, am I willing to not actually spend any time with my children until they're in their teens so that I can yeah. buy, buy a cookie cutter house and fill it with cookie cutter furniture, all bought with debt, of course, pay, pay for a college education that puts me $200,000 in debt and leaves me, you know, completely broken financially before I even get started. There, there is so much about this that is about enslaving people. It's, it's literal enslavement of people and it does not serve us as a species. We can see in what's happening to the biosphere how badly it does not serve us because we're trashing the biosphere to make meaningless tchotchkes that nobody needs. Now, yes. Too exhausted to be able to stop and take a look. Right. Right. That's right. that, you know, just keep doing, just keep doing. Don't think you can't stop. You're so, you're on that track and you're getting pushed along. And the, the way it works right now is if you do, then you're in real physical danger in terms of not having a home, not having food, not having your basic needs met right and i mean as you're saying and that that sounds like being enslaved to me sure sure yeah not only is that an extortionary form of you know leverage over people to get them to continue following the path that that's laid out before them but as soon as they're no longer useful then they're discarded again when they're old when they're no longer going to be you know, producing, then once again, there's this general discarding factor that goes along with our cult of youth and our, you know, all of our cultural celebration of trying to look young forever and, you know, have six pack abs and all the, all the nonsense, honestly, just the, the simple nonsense that goes along with, with that, 
that endless, never-ending message of you're not good enough, you don't have enough, you have to do this, you have to do more of this, you have to change, you have to be different, there's something wrong with you. There's this constant bombardment of there's something wrong with you. It's so there's something wrong with you because you don't buy this product. There's something wrong with you because you don't spend enough time with your kids. There's something wrong with you because you do spend too much time with your kids. There's something wrong with you because, I mean, the list just goes on because you, because you don't like being bombarded with advertising that tells you that there's something wrong yeah. with you. Yeah, <laughs> which is literally designed. I mean, the, the, the ads make you feel insecure about something, then offer you the solution to it. Yep. That's what it's for. Yeah. That's exactly what it's for. And so we are here to say, it's your life. It's your only life, as far as we know. Yeah. And to live it for any purpose other than joy and service is missing the boat. It, it really puts you in danger of a deathbed moment of feeling like, you know, what did I do? Why mm -hmm. did I do this? And that doesn't mean that you don't, you know, work to provide for your kids and all that kind of stuff. Everybody, you know, wants to do what's best for their progeny. But if you don't do it on your own terms, the system itself, the overculture is absolutely merciless in how it will exploit you. Yeah. So let's come back to that word you said, because you said joy and service. Mm -hmm. And the overculture, that likes that service bit. But we're talking about the service that you choose. Right. right? Who your community, not, I mean, I guess it's up to you if you want to serve some billionaire somewhere right but but like who what culture what cultural values what people what community what you know bioregion there's choice involved in that right right and what what we want to underscore is that you have agency you know you you are a, a living human being with agency and you get to make decisions about that. Now, many people are in positions where it's very hard to make those decisions. I mean, I'm, I am familiar with poverty and poverty is not a situation where you feel like you have many choices. Yeah. That said, being aware of yourself as someone who's making the choices rather than just kind of rolling over and saying, well, this is what they're doing to me. So I'm just going to ride down the path. Mm -hmm. It's just essential. If you ever hope to have a life that reflects the life that you dream of. Yeah. And you deserve it. Mm -hmm. You deserve that life. You don't, it doesn't, even if and probably you have, because you're a member of this culture too, even if you've been told your whole life that you don't, that's not true. No. You are valuable and wonderful and beautiful and your very existence is simply amazing. Miraculous. Yeah. Yeah, truly. Astronomically improbable <laughs> that you ever arrived here. And and it doesn't last that long. We're recording today on my 60th birthday. And so I have been I've been contemplating what happened between 60 years before I was born and my birth and then since my birth. Hmm. And 60 years before I was born was 1902. People were winding up their gramophones. Yeah. The radio hadn't been invented yet. But before I was born, Sputnik was already in the sky. That's how much things change. We don't have that much time. A lot of stuff happens very quickly. And it's important for us to seize the day, you know, carpe diem. And the and, night. And the night. And, and make, build the life that will feel most worthy to us. And everybody 
can make their own free choices about what that is. If the most worthy life for you really is, I have this job that I hate, but it pays very well. And I have these kids and I want to give them these opportunities and I'm going to do this. If that really is the life that you choose, okay, you choose it. That's great. The difference is coasting on through that because you think you don't have any other choices. Mm -hmm. And the world is full of people who had thriving, quote, careers, unquote, and then pulled the plug and said, actually, I'm going to sail around the world with my family. Mm -hmm. Or we're going to move to a small village and I'm going to open a clinic or whatever it is, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. One of the things that I think about when I think about the overculture is how violent it is. Mm. And that makes sense when you consider that it's essentially an extortionary system. It's a system that threatens you with punishment if you don't do what it says you have to do. And those punishments are everything from social exclusion to literally being put to death. It depends mm -hmm. on where you are in the world and what your particular transgression is. But particularly more than anything else, when I look at the, the geopolitical jockeying around the world, most of what I see is strategizing and, and tactical moves to get to resources. Mm -hmm. And those resources are the earth that capital wants to grind up into money. Mm -hmm. Whether we need those products or not, if we can be made to want them, then there's a product to be sold. Mm -hmm. And I believe that if we transform this culture from the overculture paradigm, the violence of the system will fall. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it'll be zero. You know, primates can be violent. They, they can. But generally in more of a self-defense kind of mode than anything else. It's, it's pretty rare. There are examples, but it's pretty rare for uh, one pack of primates to go on a, an attack raid on another one and kill them. Mm -hmm. And even then, it usually has to do with resources. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So how is the pagan worldview different? And in some ways, you know, how is it the same? Right. Well, I think it's, it's probably best if we break that conversation into two pieces, mm -hmm. which is paganism characterized generally as sort of an umbrella term for the the whole constellation of pagan practices mm -hmm. happening in especially the english-speaking world because that's what we know about most and then more specifically how is a naturalistic pagan worldview different a non-theist science-based naturalistic pagan view Right. So why don't we take on the, the first one first? And to be honest, this is, this is a place where I really split with the, I mean, it's, it's sort of an oxymoron to say, but mainstream pagans because of the body and the, the soul or spirit. They, they subscribe to that right. because they believe in an afterlife. Dualism in many pagan traditions is a big theme mm -hmm. right yeah the the dualism and the theism i see that theism as the the authority yes right? although I, think, I i i think to be fair some pagans view their relationships with gods as less authoritarian and more like these are allied forces that I can work and build relationships with. That's true. And some see, I've certainly talked with people who see, say, the goddess as a metaphor for earth itself and yes. life and, and nature. Yeah. And so there's certainly there's, I guess there's a there's a lot of different approaches there. Although there are some who talk about their faith and their mm -hmm. gods and their deities and in a very sort of parental patriarchal way even if it happens to have the the face and the body of a of a female 
Yes, that's true. I've certainly heard that myself. This, this question of the ghost in the machine is the one that really affects me the most because mm-hmm. if, I mean, you're, how do I say this? You're, you're not fully embracing the mechanics of planet Earth if you're not acknowledging the part of the process where life gets dismantled and ended and then reassembled into new things. Mm-hmm. If, because you can talk about that. I mean, we hear it in pagan chants all the time. The word rebirth shows mm-hmm. up all the time. And I, my personal theory is that that's because it happens to rhyme with earth. But there is this idea that spring, for example, is a rebirth of life. Well, it's not. What it is, is dormant things waking up and the next generation being born. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a rebirth of anything that's dead. Once something dies, it's dead. Right. And I just feel like when people talk about reincarnation or they talk about Valhalla or the Summerlands or the Isle of Apples or, you know, whatever, whatever the story is. Mm-hmm. Those can be beautiful stories, but they truly discount the implication that that has theologically. The, what, what that do, kind of dualism means, it moves away from the sacredness of the planet and starts being focused on this kind of ecology of spirits, mm-hmm. of, of non-corporeal beings. And in our opinion, mm-hmm. based on available evidence, that doesn't exist. It's a nice story and stories are cool, but if it distracts you from the very sacred earth that we put our feet down on every day, then it may not be a helpful story. So that dualism piece is one that I really feel strongly about. And there are, there are other examples like there are some pagan traditions where exhibit, exhibiting particular kinds of characteristics qualifies you for an afterlife, like courage and, you know, prowess in battle or whatever that is, right? What that means then is that you're living for the afterlife, you're not living for now. And that once again pulls away from, from the reality that's directly in front of us. Mm-hmm. That we're part of. Yes. Right? Not just that we're in. Yes, that we are. Yeah. The reality yes. that we are. And this, once again, I mean, that sounds weird, but that's because our language is entirely defined by the assumptions that are made about the nature of our existence in the overculture. Right. So, Yucca, do you want to speak to how a naturalistic pagan worldview is different? So... I mean, a lot of the things that we identified in the beginning as being problematic, we identified because we are naturalistic pagans, and these are these are places where there are differences between our views and values and the overculture. So, I mean, the first we've been talking a lot about the dualism and our part being part of Earth. I think that's really key is the being our relationship to the earth is recognizing that we're part of this system and that a lot of the the systems that we've been talking about the human systems they are constructed they're made up by us Mm -hmm. we are cultural animals and so that's part of what we do instinctually but that that isn't necessarily that's not always truth, right? That there, there are different cultures at different times and there are different species that have different approaches. And that what we sometimes see that is presented to us as the ultimate one truth within the overculture simply is one version of how things can be. And that's not, that doesn't serve what many of us choose and would rather be right right yeah 
where I really see the big difference between the naturalistic pagan worldview and the overculture centers around values. The, I mean, the idea that we are, we are subject to this external authority to tell us what's moral is just something that doesn't work for me at all because I don't believe it. I don't believe in those authorities, even, even democratically elected authorities. Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they don't get it right. And mm -hmm. I'm, I don't have a great deal of trust in the way that our systems are orient, oriented now. So, but when I look at, at that original mix that we talked about, the, the capitalistic paint with the white supremacy mm -hmm. and the patriarchy and all that stuff stirred into it, what I most notice is that it is organized around a set of values that are not, they're not sustainable, they're not kind, they're not inclusive, they're not any of the things that I think are really important from a value standpoint. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've done shows before on the Ethiopian four pillars and on the Ethiopian principles, and that'll go into details about what I believe is stuff that's really a value. But the, the value of on accumulation of wealth and possessions, the value on sort of strutting macho domination of women and LGBTQ people by men, the mm -hmm. value of, of domination and humiliation of, of dark-skinned people by white people, mm -hmm. it's horrific to me. It's not just that I disagree a little bit. It's not just that I think it's a little dated and maybe we need to update it. That entire yeah. Ten Commandments... Yeah all of that stuff, it needs to be tossed and revisited. We, we need a radically different set of values to underpin a, a successful culture oriented around happiness and kindness and sustainability. Yes. And we need a new way to talk about it too, because mm -hmm. these things, many of the things that we really do value, the body and pleasure and the sexuality and the animal side, the, you know, the so-called base side of things, those are all judged as negative, mm -hmm. bad things. And yet these are things that we, we believe are, as we were talking about before, sacred and holy. Yes. Look at all the psychosis in our, in our media around food. Mm -hmm. The, the, ridiculous hawking of terrible food mm -hmm. and then all of these messages about body shape and weight loss and just just terrible things to tell people they're just they're <laughs> awful things to tell people you shouldn't be telling people that stuff uh, yeah <laughs> in a in a society that had its head on straight in my opinion <laughs> you know, if you ran a couple of those commercials, people would be up in arms. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think the, the food one is a really interesting one because that's one of those places where we're demonizing the ancient foods. Mm -hmm. We're demonizing the ancient and the traditional foods and and holding up on these pillars, these new super processed industrialized things that that's really served to separate people more and more from, from their own ability to take care of themselves, from their own heritage, from their own, from their relationship with the rest of nature. Right. It's all this packaged fake beyond whatever stuff that just is just so far removed. And a lot of that stuff, especially the snack foods are engineered to be addictive. Literally, they literally are literally engineered yeah. so that every time you take a bite of that potato chip, you get a little burst of dopamine and you can't stop until you've emptied the package. Yeah. And they're greenwashing it so that you think that they're, you know, right. you're somehow saving the environment while you're consuming their product too. Right. Right. The Wrapped in single use is, plastic. Yeah. But don't worry, you can recycle it. I said, you know, you go down that. No. Yeah. <laughs> It ends up in the ocean. So, yeah. So, 
obviously we have a very dim view of <laughs> of what the overculture provides to us maybe there was a time when some of this stuff was useful hmm. but it got calcified many many centuries ago and even though we have moved out of feudalism and into uh, somewhat well, we have a different kind of feudalism now. We've, you know, now we've got corporatism and modern industrial capitalism and, you know, what they call post-industrial capitalism with the information economy. But the end goal was always, let's make as much surplus as possible and then grab as much of it for ourselves as we possibly can. And that's been going on since Sumeria. Yeah. It's time for us to revisit these these values are not serving us. These, these ideas are not serving us. Quite the opposite, in fact. Yes. They're not just not serving us. They're actively harming us, destroying our planet. Well, the biosphere, yes. the, the structure of the rock parts doing just fine, but the living part, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so all of that is very grim, but what I would like to say to our listeners is resist. Figure, you know, think for yourself, what do I want my life to be like? Not what do I want my next job to be like, but literally, you know, blank sheet of paper. If I were living the life I really wanted to live, what would it be like? Yeah, what would, and that might be a huge question. So you might break it into some smaller chunks to start thinking about what do you want your daily experience to be like right right now right not right. and thinking about your 5 10 20 year plan all that that's great but right now what what do you want every day to be like yeah and then how do you get there yeah how how do you get to the life that you deserve not to say that you know you deserve to be fabulously wealthy and have people wait on you hand and foot. <laughs> but my guess is that very, very few of us would actually choose that as the life that we want to live, given the option of that big question, what do you want your life to be like? Right. I think people are much more humble in their aspirations, I think. And I, I think that what most people want is love and creativity and enough so mm -hmm. that they don't feel scared about food, shelter, medical care. Mm -hmm. And often a, a sense of, of purpose in, in that, coming back to that word that we've used a few times in service. I think yes. most people really, really do want to help. Yes. I think My that's deep in us my work both in my in my paying career as a nonprofit professional working for public interest missions and my work in helping to foster atheopaganism and support that community and provide resources for it and organize events and all that kind of stuff i find that tremendously fulfilling it's you know it, it's unthinkable to me that i would you know, go to work for a financial firm and, and shuffle other people's money around and make a bunch of money myself in the process, because I wouldn't find that meaningful. Now, I'm not saying that others couldn't find that meaningful. And I'm not saying that there's something wrong with that kind of work. Mm -hmm. It's just that for me, that doesn't feel like service. And being in service to something greater than myself is very meaningful to me. Yeah. And so that's, that's something that each person needs to do for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a place where we're challenging the overculture and saying, yes, do think. Don't, don't just keep going with everything. Stop, think. That's one of the, the things that we've talked about with the, with the gift of the darkness. Right. Is that pausing in the dark, in the quiet and really, really reflecting mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. exploring, exploring the, the feelings around that and the, the thoughts that come up and, and just everything that's there for you. Because as we were talking about before, this is, this is it. This is what we get. This yeah. is life that we're not, 
as far as we can tell, we're not going off to some eternal land in the clouds or under the ground or wherever it's right now. Yeah. It's, it's not practice. This is the real, this is the game. This is the real thing. And what I'd like to put in a word for now is that that kind of reflection is perfectly suited for solo ritual. Mm -hmm. Very well suited to do your, your contemplation of yourself in a mirror with some candles, maybe uh, select some tarot cards that particularly resonate with you, that give you a sense about what aspects you'd like to have in your life. All of those kinds of things can be really great ways of getting underneath your conscience, your, your conscious mind into your subconscious mind where you have you may have more of a, a deep-seated sense about what you find satisfying and what you find unsatisfying. Yeah. And it might also take some some experimentation. Mm -hmm. Right? Because it leave we're surrounded by these values that are telling us, you know, what we should be valuing and thinking and feeling. And, and we might not have ever let ourselves explore in areas that are outside of that before. Right. So I think there's, there's room to, for that reflection and for that exploration as well, mm -hmm. which is exciting. It is. It is. One of the words that I've liked to associate my life with a lot since I was in my 20s, actually, is adventure. Mm -hmm. And I think life can feel like an adventure, even, even if you're, you know, getting up and going to work every morning and coming home and, you know, kind of doing the same thing most of the time, you can still have your life feel like an adventure, depending on where your growth edges are and what you're, what new things you're trying, right? I need to listen to what I just said myself now that I'm 60. <laughs> I need to remind myself that there's still plenty of adventure to be found. So I'll make a note. <laughs> <laughs> so I know there is so much more that we could say about this, but I think this is a pretty good first bite. I've really enjoyed kicking around these ideas with you, Yucca. And I think that it's, I, I, I feel really proud of this episode. I'm glad that we're talking about this. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, it's, there's a lot here. Yeah. Um, and, and before we wrap up, I just want to come back and say, you know, we aren't attacking any individuals, mm -mm. right? And we're not saying or judging any of us for being part of this. We're talking about values. We're talking about culture. And yes, we're critiquing. We most certainly are critiquing it, but it's not personal. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, um, because all of us go along with the overculture to some degree mm -hmm. that it's, it's everywhere and you can't fight on every front. It's just yeah. not possible. You have to kind of pick, all right, here are the ways that I'm going to be divergent because those are the things that are going to bring me satisfaction and a sense of meaning and purpose. And then on the other stuff, I'm okay. I'll, I'll work a job. That's okay. I'm going to do yeah. that. And so, yeah, what Yucca says is very true. The, this, this critique is of culture and systems and not of individuals. Mm -hmm. yeah. I imagine there will be a lot of thoughts in response, thoughts, questions, comments in response to this podcast. We are available to you at the wonder podcast cues at gmail.com that's the wonder podcast all one word qs at gmail.com and we welcome your comments your topic suggestions all that kind of thing and happy new year happy new year thanks for hanging out with us